It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is Keaton Slovis bringing to the BYU football program? Well, let's ask a guy who covered him all of last season out at Pitt. Nick Farabaugh joins us to talk about BYU's new QB1. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Always appreciate you guys checking out the show. Uh, pleased to be joined by Nick Farabaugh of Locked On Pit. Of course, course, covers the Pit Panthers. But a quick reminder that today's show is brought to you by our friends. Our title sponsor is our new friends at FanDuel, the official sports book of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Well, Nick, thanks for joining us on today's show. How are you, sir? I'm doing really well. I'm excited to talk about Keaton Slovis. Uh, I have a lot to say about Keaton Slovis. I've said a lot over the year about Keaton Slovis. So I'm kind of excited to to preview uh, him for BYU fans. I think that he's a very interesting player to talk about. Now, obviously, BYU fans and the BYU football program has kind of staked uh, their first year as a Power 5 program in the Big 12 on him coming in and being the Power 5 quarterback that can lead them and hopefully give them some success in year one of the Big 12. He played one year at Pitt, but give me your overall sense of how the season went for, for Keaton at Pitt. I, I don't. It wasn't a great kind of sample. Now, Listen, he struggled in the first half against West Virginia, was great in the second half, was great in the first half against Tennessee. Suffered a concussion, never really got back to who he was. Okay. He wasn't a he wasn't a great quarterback. I think he was a steady quarterback. Um, but he did hurt Pitt at times. They lost to Georgia Tech largely on his inability to, to throw the ball accurately, and he self destructed against Louisville in Louisville. And he was big reason for those two losses. Um, but really, when you looked at the rest of the schedule down the stretch, uh, he was great in Miami. He was pretty good against a good Duke team. Uh, he, he's a guy that is up and down. I, and I, I always said this every week, which Keaton Slovis are we going to get? Are we going to get that Keaton Slovis that can really hurt you and lose you a game? Or are you going to get that Keaton Slovis that can have you competing with Tennessee punch for punch in that first half. And if he plays, they might win that game. With how that defense played, they probably do win that game with Keaton Slopes. Um, and then there's also the durability questions. He's just had a lot of injuries over his career, both at USC and at Pitt. And you, you've seen kind of the highs of, of him. Obviously, 2019, he was phenomenal at USC. 2020, he was pretty good. 2021 wasn't good. And then 2022 is kind of everything mixed together in a bag. So it's like you don't know which Keaton Slopes is going to show up every week. And so – it's a roller coaster ride with him. You can do a lot worse than Keaton Slovis. That's 100% true because he's got special arm talent. And he's got underrated ability to work out of structure. I think he can, he can move a little bit. He's not, uh, he's not an elite athlete, but he can move and he can throw off platform. He can throw on the move. Um, he's, a, he's an interesting quarterback in that way. But he's inconsistent. And at times, he can actually take you out of games. He did that to Pitt in a stretch that made them go 4-4. Four Obviously, though, credit to him for bouncing back after that. This is a mentally tough kid. Played his two worst games of the year, bounced back one-fourth straight to end of the year. So that's a testament to Keaton Slovis' mental toughness. 
Now, obviously, you talk about the fact his ability to operate outside of structure in, in an offense. And BYU's offense, the last two quarterbacks have had Zach Wilson and his NFL career aside, he had a very, very good run at BYU. Jaron Hall's on his way to the NFL as well. And both of them were guys who had, as most people would surmise, pretty good arm talent, but also were able to operate both within the structure and at times to be able to ad-lib in an offense. Is that, that Was that something that uh, Keaton had to do with just regards to plays breaking down or was he breaking out of the structure of the offense at Pitt trying to make a play? Sometimes he, he broke out of structure too early. Okay. That was my main actual issue with Keaton Slovis. Other than his inconsistent deep ball at times, he would just he would just try to slide out the back door too early. Okay. And Pitt's O-line was not good the first two weeks of the season, but they really kind of grew together and became a great O-line by the end of the year, but he was still sliding out the back door into pressure. Sometimes he makes it harder on himself with his pocket management. And then there's other times when you look at his pocket management, he makes the perfect throw. He steps up in the pocket, fires a dart over the middle, and you're like, do that every time. Again, this is a guy that is up and down. Um, But when he's up, he is great. Uh, You see some of the throws he can make. His arm talent is up there with both Zach Wilson and Jaron Halls. Um, He's got that type of arm talent. He's not as mobile, of course, as mm-hmm. either of those guys. You're not going to run a read option with Keaton Slowis. That's yeah. not what you're going to do. But can he – does he have functional mobility and can he get out of that pocket a little bit? And, you know, if, if it's man coverage and, and there's a 10-yard gaping hole in the middle of the field, will he take it? Absolutely. Um, can he get out of structure and make some plays and make some wild throws? Absolutely. Um, we saw that this year. That's also a, a double-edged sword, though, because sometimes he'll run into sacks – or he'll make a decision where he just kind of loses his mind once or twice every few games and makes a what-in-the-world-are-you-doing decision. That's the story of Keaton Slovis. It's it's the up and downs, and at the ups, you love the guy. At the downs, you're like, what are you doing? (laughs) But if if they can get a consistent Keaton Slovis, which we haven't seen since 2020, Mm -hmm. that's where BYU can click here. Mm -hmm. But that's going to be the question. Can they do it? And... I think Slovis had a pretty decent surrounding cast around him at Pitt this year with Izzy Abani Kanda really running the ball super well. He had a great receiver in Jared Wayne. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had a good O-line too. Um, so he had kind of the makings to be consistent. But he was still up and down at times. Um, so I, I, it's kind of the question of what team Slovis are you going to get every week? What do you think ultimately pushed him to leave Pitt after just one season and decide to transfer once again? I just don't think that the marriage of a pro-style offense that Frank Signetti, Pitt's offense coordinator, wanted to run is the perfect marriage for Keaton Slovis. Okay. Uh, you know, it was a lot of 12 personnel, under center stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a run-centric offense. When he came, Mark Whipple ran a pro-style spread-type offense, right? But Signetti went a lot of two tight ends, three tight ends, heavier stuff. Um, because Pitt didn't have a super deep receiving core like they did when Jordan Addison was here the year mm-hmm. before. Um, they had Wayne, they had uh, Kanani Mumfield, and they had Bub Means, but their top three were kind of their top three. And so every time they would go into shotgun, he looked a lot more comfortable to me. Um, he looked better. Uh, I think he's better when he is operating from a rhythm-based type of system in the shotgun. Don't put him under center. Don't ask him to turn his back to the defense and run play action. That's not really his game. His game is, okay, I'm going to sit in shotgun, I'm going to see the whole coverage, I'm going to get my pre-snap read going, and then I'm going to determine where to go. Now, sometimes that will get him in trouble. He can make 
kind of predetermined reads and, and not get the post snap stuff going. That's another thing where he's going to have to work on a little bit, but I think that's where he's at his best. So run a spread type system, let him air it out a little bit, get him in a rhythm, short intermediate throws. Um, I think that's where he's kind of able to do that because that's when you get, when he's in a rhythm and he's starting to feel good about himself, that's when you get, Oh, the honey hole cover two throw. That's when you get the unbelievable seam ball up the middle. Uh, that's when you get those wow throws from Keith slopes. So I think you got to get him into a rhythm and you got to work him in the shotgun. I think that's kind of what led to this. And, and Pitt kind of wanted a mobile quarterback that could develop the front, the, the running game side of the quarterback in for today's offense, which they didn't have this year. And Slovis came in before Signetti was hired. So that marriage didn't end up working out as well as they thought it would. And so Jerkovich came in for Pitt, and I think Slovis kind of saw that. This wasn't the perfect system for him. He wants to get his draft stuck up, and he plays better in that spread-type system, right? Graham Harrell in the air raid is where he was at his best. That's what he needs. Well, and that seems like Taylor made for what BYU operated, especially with Jaron Hall. At times, in short yardage, they put Jaron under center and run QB sneaks and the like, but... 80-85% of the time, BYU's offense is being run out of the shotgun. And I think, what you kind of mentioned, I think BYU fans sitting there, they're like, okay, well that seems like a pretty nice match if that if that's truly what he prefers to do. Now, I got one last question for you, Nick, with regards to Keaton. You mentioned the fact, if you can get if you can just get the steady Keaton Slovis out of him, is he capable, in in your mind, of winning games with his arm? Is he is he that type of a guy when he's at the peak of his powers? Yes, he is, um, because he did it for Pitt at times this year. Um, that first half against Tennessee was probably his best half he played all year. He was dynamite, and that Tennessee team ended up being an elite team. Remember, that was with Hendon Hooker, Cedric Tillman. That was a full-stocked Tennessee squad, and if they have Keaton Slovis in that game, he suffered a concussion. If they have him in that game, they win that game. Um, so, yeah, he can wheel you over teams like that when he's on. Second half against West Virginia, Pitt came out in the first half, played lackadaisical, kind of fell behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. They came back because Keaton Slovis was the steady team Slovis. Uh, against Miami, he was unbelievable down there. They blew Miami out. Um, Miami wasn't that good last year, but it was a real kind of statement game um, to me. I, I think his best game of the year was in Virginia. If you go back and watch that game, some of the throws he makes in that game, again, Virginia not a good team last year, but you looked at what he did, he won that game for Pitt. Um, just with his arm. He made unbelievable plays out of structure. He made throws that you shouldn't be able to make at a college level. They were NFL-level throws. So, yes, it's just which one are you going to get? Um, are you going to get the Keaton Slovis that will win you the games? Because Pitt got that at times. And then they got the Keaton Slovis that lost them games. And he can, If he's bad, he can lose you games you wouldn't envision losing. Pitt didn't envision losing to Georgia Tech or, or Louisville. Um, Pitt probably should have beat both those teams. Um, but that's what Keaton Slovis kind of is. He's a double-edged sword. But I think if you get him in a rhythm-based offense, I think you get him in a shotgun primary offense, and I think you get rid of all that under center stuff. Just kind of fit him to where you need him, which is that rhythm-based type of system. He can cook. Because if you can hit those hitches, those out routes, the slants, um, all that stuff, which makes it a, a simple one-two read, um, this is what I, this is what Frank Signetti did kind of down the stretch to make things easier on him was he kind of just made it a one side of the field read. Okay, you're going to read one, two, three, and that's what you're going to do, Keaton. And, and he was a lot better that way. Don't give him these elaborate NFL reads. Don't make him go backside on a dig route. That's not his game. 
If you get him in a rhythm on the front side, one, two, three, I think that's where you'll see him. And that will then open up the ability to hit the deep shots and create explosive plays. So, yes, when Keaton Slovis is on, he can win you football games. He's a good quarterback. Is he a great quarterback? No, because of the inconsistencies. But he is a good quarterback that can be great at times. And it's not just quarters. It can be games at a time where he sustains great levels of play. Well, that's good to hear. But, Nick, appreciate all of your insight. I figured as a guy who covered him game in and game out this past year, you'd have a better idea than almost anybody on what BYU's getting out of him. But cannot thank you enough for taking some time and look forward to catching up maybe down the road with you to talk more Pitt and BYU crossover. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Pitt will get a BYU transfer or <laughs> something in the future. Uh, you never know when your teams can, can come and uh, snap someone. I don't think the pit to BYU pipeline's been very strong, but this could be it. Hey. You never know, right? We'll, we'll have to wait and see, but thanks again, Nick. Thanks for having me on, Jake. There you go, Nick Farabaugh of Locked On Pit. A big thank you to him for taking the time to join us here on Locked On Cougars and give us a little bit of an insight as to what to expect from Keaton Slovis. And the hope is, as you heard Nick say, is that BYU gets a steady dose of the good Keaton Slovis this season. Are are there times that things are probably going to go awry? Probably. And maybe some of it's not going to necessarily be uh, Keaton's fault. There will be obviously extenuating circumstances as there are. This is a team game in football. But the most important position on the football field, bar none, is the quarterback position and getting a good performance from a guy like Keaton Slovis will be very important for BYU's chances of being that consistent team that maybe can surprise some folks when it comes to the uh, Big 12 schedule. If I, I, The biggest thing for BYU is just making sure that they get the quarterback play that they expect. Is it going to be maybe to the level that we've seen from Zach Wilson and or Jaron Hall this past season? Maybe not, but getting a steady performance from a guy like Keaton Slovis very, very critical to BYU's chances of chasing bowl eligibility and obviously uh, being a respectable program in their first year of Big 12 membership. Now, uh, coming up here in just a moment, let's talk about one of the guys I just mentioned, Jaron Hall. Where is he ranked on Dane Brugler's uh, top 15 uh, prospect list for the NFL draft? Where are other BYU guys in the NFL draft ranked on that list as well, position by position? We'll delve into that in a moment, give you my thoughts on why or why not a guy should be ranked where they are in terms of the BYU guys on that list. First, need to get a word in on our friends over at FanDuel. New friend here on the podcast, and of course, my friends, the NFL playoffs are here, and we're really excited about our new sports betting partner for the Locked On Network because they are the number one sports book in America, and that's our friends at FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better, my friends. The best part is they have so many great features that make sports betting fun and easy. The best part is new customers. Join today get started with a $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Think about that. Place a $5 bet, get $150 in free bets from our friends at FanDuel. All you got to do is just sign up at FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's once again, FanDuel.com slash locked on. They got all your favorite bets from FanDuel, including money line, point spreads, player props, and more. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a bigger chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay with your bets. That's the best part about this is you can just do anything you want to do with our friends at FanDuel. Absolutely love that they are on board with us. And like I said, they are the top sports book in America nationwide for a reason. It's all, by the way, and it's all can be done from the comfort of your own home. And by the way, done on your mobile device. You want to log on to a computer. It's all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. It's really simple, my friends. So once again, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets. Win or lose at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment 
moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, especially during March. Your eyes are on the road, but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket. Their sudden braking puts you in a 16-car pileup that's anything but sweet. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this is worse than a busted bracket. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability, savings vary. Thank you once again for joining us here on Locked On Cougars. Always appreciate you guys carving out time out of your day to join us, uh, join me here, I guess I should say, but join us in Cougar Nation in talking all things BYU. A quick reminder that you guys should make sure you check out the Locked On College Basketball Show. Uh, it's a fantastic product, getting you caught up on everything going on in college hoops. The best part is you'll hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players as well. That's Locked On College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. All right. As promised, uh, let's talk a little bit about where BYU has guys ranked in the NFL draft. Obviously, there are a number of guys uh, chasing their dreams in the, in the NFL draft. Jaron Hall, Blake Freeland, uh, Puka Nakua. On down the list, guys like Houston Haymuli, uh, who else? Gunnar Romney. Geez, uh, Peyton Wilgart. There's just so many guys. Lorenzo Fawatea. I could go on and on about these guys that are chasing their NFL dreams. Well, how many of them are truly guys that an NFL insider, an NFL draft expert, believes are on the in, have the inside track at getting drafted this season? Well, good thing you asked because I am a subscriber to the to the Athletic. I've been a subscriber actually ever since they launched their college arm. Uh, it's been f- for years now, and I love the product. I, I'm not telling you how to spend your money, but the Athletic to me is well worth the investment and it's actually not that much month to month to get a great insight from writers from all over the country and Dane Brugler is their NFL draft insider and I absolutely love his work because he's a guy who doesn't uh, necessarily try and uh, I don't know blow smoke up your skirt and make you think that everybody is going to be a first round draft pick he lays it out how it is and he put out his top 15 uh, players at each position in the 2023 NFL draft rankings and then, by the way this is his initial rankings obviously these will uh, fluctuate based on how the senior bowl goes how the NFLPA collegiate bowl which is taking place this week uh, Harris Lachance and Caleb Hayes two of the former Cougars I forgot to mention earlier they're taking part in the collegiate bowl uh, Blake Freeland Jaron Hall and Puka Nakua are headed to the Senior Bowl. Uh, Christopher Brooks recently played in the Hula Bowl. There are so many of these postseason showcase events, and Dane is doing his best to consume all of it and give an updated list on this. So this is his initial rankings, but don't be surprised if these change. But at quarterback, uh, he lists the top 15 players, and where he has BYU's quarterback, Jaron Hall, ranked number 13. And I'm honestly, when I saw this for the first time, I'm like, 13? He's behind guys like Tyson Badgent, uh, I'm not correct, from Shepard University. If you, I couldn't name where Shepherd University if, was if you tried. I haven't even looked it up. I, he also has him behind Clayton Toon out of Houston, Aiden O'Connell uh, out of Purdue, Jake Hayner from Fresno State. Uh, I've got my druthers to pick with uh, Dane Brugger. And this is, by the way, this is his personal opinion. And obviously, he'll be on hand at the Senior Bowl watching Jaron do his thing. And by the way, there's a number of high-level quarterbacks, some of the top guys in this class, Bryce Young, 
CJ Stroud, I, I, I think Anthony Richardson as well, they're all in the top four of this list. They are not going to be at the Senior Bowl. I believe that uh, Hendon Hooker will be. Will Levis is expected to be there. I believe Jake Hayner will be there as well. But nonetheless, this is a huge opportunity for Jaron Hall to go to the Senior Bowl, play against some of the best talent in the country, both offensively and defensively. They just play with the best offensive talent against some of the best defensive talent and show what he's capable of doing. Do I think that uh, Jaron Hall is the 13th best quarterback in this rec- in this draft cycle? Absolutely not. I-, I-, I think that he should be top 10. I would honestly, because the list has Bryce Young, number one, not surprised there. The One of the Heisman Trophy winners, a guy who's absolutely phenomenal. C.J. Stroud, not a surprise that he's number two. Will Levis, number three. Those are the top three quarterbacks. I think almost any draft board you look at are going to have those three. Anthony Richardson is a guy who's got all the physical tools, but very small production. He did beat Utah, but not necessarily the most refined quarterback. But then, a guy that Jaron Hall outdueled uh, before he got injured, Tanner McKee from Stanford is the number five quarterback according to Brugler. You can't tell me that Jaron Hall is not as good, if not better, than a guy like Tanner McKee. No offense to Tanner. And by the way, BYU would have loved to have had Tanner when they were recruiting him. But Jaron's not the 13th best quarterback in this draft cycle. I I think he's probably in that range right there. Hendon Hooker, 6. Jake Hanner, 7. Aiden O'Connell, 8. I'd actually probably have him at worst, number 7, where Jake Hanner is sitting right now. That's my personal opinion. I think Jaron has got all the tools. The athleticism, the physique, the arm to go out and impress folks and that's going to be very important for him as he goes to the Senior Bowl beginning next week throughout the week's worth of practices down there in Mobile, Alabama to make sure that he shows what he's capable of and if he does that, there's no reason to think that he can't move up this list, but to see him rank behind a guy from Shepherd University uh, I got to admit I was a bit disappointed to see that. Now the next uh, one up is an offensive tackle. Obviously, Blake Freeland is a guy who left BYU early, had eligibility remaining, but was making trying to make uh, good on the bet on himself. Obviously, a guy who's developed nicely at BYU. Well, if you go down the list, Paris Johnson, number one, Broderick Jones, two, Anton Harrison, four, uh, excuse me, three, Matthew Bergeron, four, Darnell uh, Wright, number five, or in the world is Blake Freeland, number 14, Dane Brugler, what are you doing here, sir? I'm about to see if I can get him on the show. I've had an opportunity to catch up with him a couple of times in my radio career. But Blake Freeland, the 14th best offensive tackle in this class, he's got, for comparison's sake, Braden Daniels, the star left tackle for the University of Utah. He's got Braden Daniels, number eight. This, to me, seeing these two guys in particular, both Blake Freeland and Jaron Hall, is low on this on these lists as Dane has them. Uh, it's both an opportunity and also screams to me that there might be a little Power 5 bias going on with what Dane is doing here. And I know that BYU is going to be a Power 5 conference, uh, going to be a Power 5 program beginning this year, and a lot of programs out there consider BYU to be Power 5 adjacent. But is, this screams to me that uh, Dane's kind of uh, taken for granted what Blake Freeland and Jaron Hall are capable of doing. Are they capable of proving him right and being as bad as he has them ranked on this list? By the way, these are 15 guys that he thinks are going to be drafted. So let's be very clear about this. He thinks that both Blake Freeland as well as Jaron Hall are draftable prospects. They would not be on this list if he didn't think that. So that that is the positive in that regard is that he thinks that they will be taken in the NFL draft. But I don't think Blake Freeland is the 14th best offensive tackle in this. I'm seeing guys like Nick Saldiveri from Old Dominion, Carter Warren from Pitt. Like, 
I think Blake Freeland's going to show up at the Senior Bowl and absolutely show out. I think he has got all of the physical tools, the capability of really making an impression on coaches, scouts, and NFL draft analysts alike when it comes to these workouts that will be taking place at the Senior Bowl. And I hope that they make a Dane Brugler eat a few of his words. Will they ultimately uh, prove to do that? Only time will tell. But the thing is, you have to go down there if you're a guy like Blake Freeland or Jaron Hall and show what you're capable of doing. Now, you're probably wondering, what about other BYU? You guys, Jake. No other BYU guys show up in the top 15 of Dane Brugler's list. Puka Nakua is not in the top 15 a wide receiver. It's a huge opportunity for him to go down to the Senior Bowl and make an impression and hopefully make a, a move up uh, the draft boards of these various teams. But uh, a guy like Dane Brugler, he gets a lot of his intel from NFL scouts who are scouting these guys day to day. And if they're telling him that they don't think that uh, Jaron Hall is as good as he's cracked up to be, or Blake Freeland, or Puka Nakua is not one of the top 15 wide receivers, well, he's probably... Uh, listing them as such. But the opportunity still exists for Jaron Hall, Blake Freeland, and Puka Nakua in this circumstance at the Senior Bowl because it's the biggest showcase event. Uh, The NFLPA Collegiate Bowl the Hula Bowl, uh, they just had the Tropic Bowl, I think is what they call it, uh, Tropical Bowl, maybe that's what it is, but those are showcase events that are show off uh, lower level talent in most uh, theories. The Senior Bowl is supposed to be the elite of the the elite. All of the guys at the Senior Bowl are supposed to be draft eligible guys that are expected to be taken in the NFL draft. So I am rooting myself for guys like Jaron Hall, Blake Freeland, as well as Puka Nakua to go have a fantastic showing in Mobile next week. I'll be doing my best to have some of our people that are be down there for the Locked On Podcast Network to give us updates on each three of them. Hopefully, they'll be able to check in live from Mobile for you. Similar to what we did with Nick Farabaugh today to get you a look at that, but interested to see where it ultimately all shakes out here. It's just one of those interesting things that you just wonder, okay, are they capable of having overlooked these guys? And will Blake Freeland, Jaron, and Puka make all of these NFL draft analysts eat their words a little bit? Only time will tell. All right, coming up next, uh, we will round out today's show with a look back at one of the more famous Holy War games in BYU's independent eras. Our look back at all 155 BYU independent games continues. We'll also catch up where you can find other BYU teams in action uh, at midweek as well. We'll get to all of that in mere moments. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at UCCU. My friends, let UCCU make your family's dream of owning a home come true by making it more affordable. That sounds like an oxymoron right now, but the best part is right now UCCU is offering low rate 7 and 10 year arms with rate inflation protection. What it is, it's an adjustable rate mortgage or an arm for short comes with an initial low rate for 7 to 10 years. After that it adjusts to a rate that fluctuates based on the market. The big advantage of an arm is that it comes with an initial rate that's lower than a conventional mortgage right now and the best part is with a lower rate an arm gives you more purchase power than a traditional mortgage. In fact, you get up to 10% more house with an adjustable rate mortgage for the same payment as a conventional loan. Think about that, my friends. More house for the same amount of money. Plus, an adjustable rate mortgage can make qualifying for a mortgage loan easier for first-time home buyers as well. To learn more or to get an arm started, simply visit uccu.com, select the arm that works best for you, or stop by any UCCU branch and talk to one of their mortgage specialists today. That's UCCU. Love where you bank. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, especially during March. Your eyes are on the road, but the driver in front of you has both eyes on their bracket. Their sudden braking puts you in a 16-car pileup that's anything but sweet. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this is worse than a busted bracket. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. 
Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability, savings vary. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day, and always appreciate you guys checking out the show. It's a ton of fun to sit down and talk all things BYU every single day. And once again, a big thank you to Nick Farabaugh for taking the time to join us on today's show, and hopefully I got a little more insight as to what you can expect from a guy like Keaton Slovis this year. Now, as we round out today's show... Uh, two things I need to touch on is that uh, BYU men's volleyball, 4-0 and to start their season, a really, really nice start to the year. They are now ranked number 12 in the country. They are going to be on the road tonight uh, down in Irvine, California, down in Orange County. They're taking on the UC Irvine Anteaters, uh, formerly one of the rivals that BYU kind of denied BYU of some national titles in recent memory. Those go back probably almost a decade now when UCI was as good as they were, but this is a big opportunity for BYU against the Anteaters uh, down there at the Brent Event Center. It starts at uh, 7 o'clock Pacific time. That's 8 o'clock Mountain time. If you want to watch it live, you actually can stream it on ESPN+. There will be a second matchup between these two teams, a rematch on Friday night down there in Irvine. But tonight, uh, 8 o'clock Mountain time, 7 o'clock Pacific. If you happen to be in the Orange County area and don't have anything to do, would encourage you guys to make it down to UC Irvine and watch BYU men's volleyball. Like I said, off to a very, very solid start this year and hoping to move up in the national rankings. And a win over UC Irvine would really legitimize BYU's early season run. They have a big win over the Lewis Flyers that were nationally ranked when they beat them at home, but this is their first road match. How are they going to handle a road environment? We're going to find out together tonight as BYU and Coach Olmstead head down to face the Anteaters there in Irvine. Now, the other thing we need to talk about today, we've been looking back at all 155 BYU football games. Now, BYU got absolutely curb stomped 54 to 10 in 2011. All remember talking about that. You remember all the turnover issues that Jake Keeps had in that game. BYU had it as a team. Well, uh, in 2012, BYU went to Rice Eccles Stadium and had aspirations of winning this game. And now, as I mentioned in yesterday's show, Riley Nelson had a back injury. And I remember, I probably should mention this earlier on. BYU tried to couch it by saying, well, he had back spasms. That's why he left the game. But any of us who watched that game against Weber State remember that hit he took. And it came to find out that ultimately it was a back injury and it was a a broken back, for lack of a better term. He didn't break a vertebrae uh, proper, but he broke pieces of that vertebrae off. And that's a very painful thing. Well, as Riley Nelson is wont to do, he gutted it out and suited up for BYU as they went to face their rival at Utah. Now, BYU was ranked number 25 in the country going into this matchup. They're a nationally ranked team on the road at Utah, thinking, okay, if we can pick up a win over a Pac-12 team here, this gives us an opportunity to legitimize ourselves in this game. And Riley Nelson absolutely gutted this game out. 17-35, a 50% completion percentage for 206 yards. He completed uh, two touchdown passes against one interception, but this was a back-and-forth game. Remember, John Hayes, if you remember him, uh, made life miserable for BYU, but BYU had an opportunity late in this game. Oh, geez. What a wild game. They had hopes of uh, winning uh, for the second time in Salt Lake, or I guess this would have been tying it. Uh, dashed by a blocked field goal. Now, uh, Justin Sorensen blocked a fifth. Uh, Justin Sorensen had a 51-yard attempt blocked by Star Lotulale with one second remaining. After officials put time back onto the clock to give BYU an opportunity following a third down incompletion, then BYU got another opportunity at that 15 yards closer. After, as we all recall, Utah's fans stormed the field. They cleared the field. Kyle Whittingham was absolutely beside himself about this. I'm not sure he's ever gotten over it. 
to this day. Got a 15-yard uh, penalty on the crowd, moved BYU into chip shot range. Riley Stevenson came in uh, at, to replace Justin Sorensen because they were kind of alternating at kicker at that point. And what does Riley Stevenson do? Well, he clanks it off the uh, upright with a 36-yard attempt that BYU ends up losing 24-21. to This game was tied at 7-7 at halftime, and what a wild finish it was because BYU, like I said, had hopes of winning that game over Utah. It became what would be a three-game losing streak. We all know how it uh, continued to extend in the coming uh, episodes of this podcast. Ended up being a nine-game losing streak for the Cougars when all was said and done before they snapped it. But in this game, some pretty good performances. Cody Hoffman was a man amongst boys. Five rece- uh, excuse me, not five receptions, eight receptions for 120 yards. Michael Elisa uh, led the way with 56 rushing yards. Riley Nelson with that injured back still ran 14 times for 34 yards in his own right, but just it was not meant to be, and there, there'll be that forever image of J.D. Falslev on the field, just curled up and uh, just in agony after BYU was unable to get that field goal to go through to tie the game and push it over time and maybe find a way to win this one, and... <laughs> I still can remember. I so I was not at uh, Rice Eccles Stadium covering this from my station. They had sent other people. I was actually in a control room, if I recall correctly, I believe, uh, watching this game and watching the crowd rush the field and wondering what in the world is happening. And then you see the officials get together and you're like, what are they doing here? What are they going to do? And they said, okay, well we uh, penalized the crowd, B- moved BYU 15 yards closer. And you're thinking, okay, this is a chip shot. BYU's got this in the bank. But man. What a gut punch to watch that uh, field goal. The the third opportunity for BYU to tie that game up from a a field goal. Clanks off the upright as Riley Stevenson misses after they yanked Justin Sorensen off the field. Just a brutal brutal loss for BYU, dropping them to 2-1, dropping them out of the top 25, but as we would find out after this game, well, that was the last we was going to, we was, no, we were going to see of Riley Nelson for a little while, because as you mentioned, that back injury ended up catching up uh, with him, and we went into one of the more epic, uh, low-scoring affairs in the BYU-Boise State history that we'll talk about on tomorrow's show. But, uh, geez, this 2012 season, it's bringing back all kinds of memories. Because, like I said, I think I've stated this before, but those of you who may be new to the podcast, my time covering BYU as a professional, as a a media member, uh, coincides with BYU going independent. My first year working in full-time radio doing the sports media thing was BYU's first year as an independent in 2011. So that's why I'm enjoying this, looking back at all these games because I've covered them in a professional capacity throughout that entire run. The 12 years BYU was an independent program. And looking back at each one of these games makes me think of different things that I took away from each one of these matchups. And I can remember thinking, man, how in the world do you miss three opportunities to tie this game against Utah? But... That's just the that's the fickle thing about football. It's a weirdly shaped ball that bounces weird ways, and when you hit an upright and have a block kicked and have a, a crowd rush the field, it gives you, you know what? Crazy, crazy things happen in football, and that Utah game, man. I will not soon forget just how wild that finish was between the Utes and the Cougars. But we'll talk about Boise State and BYU tomorrow. Uh, That loss for BYU did drop them out of the top 25, but they would go to Boise State to face off against a nationally ranked Boise State squad. And we'll we'll talk about what happened in that matchup on tomorrow's podcast. So a big thank you once again for making us your first listen of the day. You guys are absolutely awesome out there. I cannot thank you guys enough. Your support of this venture, this podcast, makes my world go round. It is a Thursday. We'll do a mailbag 
mailbag edition of the podcast. If you guys have got questions, you can send them in on, via social media, Locked On Cougars on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, send those questions in now or email the show, LockedOnBYU at gmail.com. You can send in your questions now and we'll address as many of them as we can on tomorrow's podcast, as well as looking back at BYU and Boise State in football. All right. Until tomorrow, have a great rest of your day. Now we go make your second listen. Our friends over at the Locked On Big 12 podcast. Great way to get caught up on BYU's new conference home and all the news going on in the Big 12 conference. Get that free and available wherever you get your podcasts, just like this one. It's also available on YouTube. So until next time, this has been the Locked On Cougars podcast. See ya. The NCAA tournament is almost here, and listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.